Welcome to the Central Community Church Podcast. We exist to be authentic followers of Jesus, leading others to follow Him by loving God, loving people, and serving our world. Amen. Hey, if you have a Bible, why don't you turn to John chapter 8. We're going to start in verse 12. Now, if you've been paying really close attention, you'll think, hey, wait a minute. What are you doing? What are you doing? Because last week we finished at John 7, verse 52. There's John 7, 53, and then John 8, 1 to 11. And if you have the heading in your Bible, if this part is even included in your Bible, it will say the woman caught in adultery or something to that end. But if your um, translation is anything like mine, this, this text is bracketed with a footnote that says um, that it's not in the earliest manuscripts. What that means is that John, the gospel writer, never wrote um, this section of the gospel, the woman caught in adultery. So it, it could be one of two things. It could be um, legend could be a story that, that was drummed up and people thought, well, you know what? It sounds like something Jesus would do and it was included. I, I actually really do think that this took place. That would be my guess, be my belief, um, that this scenario took place, but it was added at a later date. The earliest manuscripts don't include it, let alone John's original writing. And so therefore, um, I'm not going to preach it this morning. Um, That said, I think that it's a beautiful story that absolutely holds the gospel message. I mean, as you read the story, right, and this is a famous one, one of the really famous ones. Have you ever heard anyone say inside the church or outside the church, like, if you've never sinned, throw the first stone, right? Like, we use it. (laughs) It's it's, it's a very famous text, Um, and I think it's really a gospel text because what's going on is there's a woman caught in adultery who's a sinner, And they want to condemn her by the law and stone her for this. And Jesus comes along and and says to her, essentially, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. I mean, that's such a picture of the gospel. He steps into each one of our lives and says, yes, I know you're a sinner and I forgive you. I died for you. Now go live a life that's pleasing and holy and righteous and lean on me and may my spirit move in you to that end. But... Um, it's not a text that we can count on being in John's gospel, so we're going to skip it. I'm, I'm really comfortable referring to it when there's another text that's primary and to complement it using this text to refer to and say, just like in the story of the woman caught in adultery, such and such, but it's just confirming a point in a text we might be in on that particular morning. But to root ourselves all morning in a text that, that, that John, the gospel writer, didn't pen is, is just... Uh, a little bit outside the, bang, the bounds from my perspective. Um, if you disagree, read about it a ton and then we'll talk, okay? All right, so let's move on. I'm gonna pick it up in verse 12. Lamenting a little bit, I would have loved to preach it. Um, so here's verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, again, in all likelihood, is referring back to this feast of booths that's, that's happening. Um, and so the Feast of Tabernacles uh, is another name for it. It's going on. And so Jesus is continuing that. Out of chapter 7, we see the scenario carrying on. Again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. 
So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true. For I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. You judge according to the flesh. I judge no one. Now, this doesn't mean that Jesus never judges, that Jesus is not a righteous judge. It's simply saying that when Jesus, um, it, it could be saying two things, and I think they're both accurate. You judge according to the flesh, Jesus is saying, I don't judge that way. I don't judge according to the flesh. So I, I judge no one that way. But I think it is also referring to Jesus not being someone who really came in his earthly ministry to be a judge. He came to bear the light. He came to point people to the way of salvation. He came to save. He came to rescue. And his earthly ministry is pointing to that end. And so in that regard, he did not come to judge. But don't hear one verse out of context and think Jesus never judges because that's actually a trend. I, I even have to say this right now because, because there are those who believe that Jesus never will judge anybody. You judge according to the flesh, I judge no one. But Jesus says in verse 16, yet even if I do judge, my judgment is true, for it is not I alone who judge, but I and the Father who sent me. In your law, it is written that the testimony of two men is true. I am the one who bears witness about myself, that's one, and the Father who sent me bears witness about me, that's two. They said to him, therefore, where is your Father? Jesus answered, you know neither me nor my father. If you knew me, you would know my father also. These words he spoke in the treasury as he taught in the temple, but no one arrested him because his hour had not yet come. I love this. John just keeps placing these timing references in. He's, he's, he's mounting, um, right, this, this, this case, and he, he's, he's building towards the cross and just keeps referring to, there were some angry people, they wanted to arrest him, they wanted to kill him, but God's providential timing had not yet come. He just refers to it yet again. So he said to them again, verse 21, I am going away and you will seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. So the Jews said, will he kill himself since he says where I am going, you cannot come? Jesus said to them, you are from below, I am from above. You are of this world. I'm not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins for unless you believe that I am he, or in the original, that I am, the name for God, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning, I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true and I declare to the world what I have heard from him. They did not understand that he had been speaking to them about the Father. So Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am he, and that I do nothing on my own authority, but speak just as the Father taught me. And he who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. And as he was saying these things, many believed in him. Um, this is the second of seven I am statements in the Gospel of John. It's one of the, the, the themes that we, we, we draw out in the Gospel of John. It's, it's, it's at seven different places, 
Jesus declares something about himself with I am statements. The first was, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And here's the second one. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And what this means, I am the light of the world, is Jesus is saying, I am the exclusive source of physical and spiritual light in the world. I came into the world to illuminate the truth for the world. So if you have a bulletin outline on the back, I'm actually going to divert from it. I'm going to, I'm going to do something different. It's so Thursday. It's so Thursday. And uh, this is Sunday, and so we're switching gears. Sorry about that. But we do have it on the screen for you. Just two points. First, to reject Jesus is to remain in darkness. To reject Jesus is to remain in darkness. And secondly, to believe in Jesus is to receive the light of life. So first... To reject Jesus is to remain in darkness. Let me just read for you verses 13 and 14 again because there's this whole conversation that hinges on this exchange. So the Pharisees said to him, you are bearing witness about yourself. Your testimony is not true. Jesus had just declared, I'm the light of the world. And they're saying, well, you're making some big claims about yourself and your testimony is not true. Well, Jesus answered, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from and where I am going. But you do not know where I come from or where I am going. Jesus is picking up on the conversation that they had in John 5, verse 31, where Jesus declares, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And so there's this group listening to Jesus. And in this context, they're saying, oh, there he goes again. Right? Bearing witness about himself. Therefore, his testimony is not true. Even he said it. Right? And so the law, in the law, when you were to accuse somebody, it was, on the, the, um, it was on the testimony of two witnesses. And so they're really calling Jesus out on this. Well, he had already been through this in John 5. And he said, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. And then he went on to give them four witnesses. John the Baptist was a witness of Jesus as the Son of God, the Messiah, his miracles attested to who he was. And so Jesus shows them that his miracles point to his divinity. Thirdly, he points to God the Father, like he does here, pointing to his divinity. And fourthly, he points to the Bible, the Old Testament itself, the writings of Moses actually speaking about Jesus. And so he says, I, I don't bear witness about myself. It's not, if, if I did, it's not true. But here's one, two, three, four witnesses. And so this conversation is happening again. And Jesus says, listen, I came from God. I'm going to God and one with God, but you don't know God or see me as the son of God and therefore you can't see me as the light of the world because by the very fact that I am from God, I am the light of the world. I and the father are one. So they're just missing it. Jesus is making a declaration about him being the light and just know that they're just not grasping it. They're not believing it. And I heard an illustration of this that I found really helpful. Let me share it with you. Here's a picture of what's happening in this context. It is as though you heard me yesterday in a conversation with a British friend say, I don't use the word torch. And then today I find you lost in a totally dark and dangerous tunnel. And I bring you a bright burning torch that can show you the way out. And I say, I have a torch for you. There's the way, follow it to freedom. And you look right past the torch and say, I heard you say yesterday that you don't use the word torch. So your testimony that you have a torch is false. 
what should I say in response of that? I could explain to you, well, in British, they call flashlights torches, and I was saying yesterday that I don't use the word torch that way. You didn't understand the context. Here's a torch. Take it. Get out of here while you can. But if you are like the Pharisees, you would answer, there's no torch here. You contradict yourself. That is an illustration of what's taking place here. Jesus says to them, I am the light of the world. And they're looking at Jesus, who is the light of the world, and say, I don't see anything. Right, we should respond to an illustration like that, saying it's absurd, the torch was right there in front of them, and they needed it to get out. And that's right, Jesus is the light of the world, the divine, self-authenticating light of the world, and he was right there in front of them. They, they said, you contradict yourself, there's no burning light here. See, the eyes of their hearts were blind. We know the light of the world, not because we conclude it from an argument, but because we see it with our eyes especially the eyes of our hearts, right? Our hearts. And so Jesus made this case in John 5. Look, I don't just bear witness about myself. My miracles do. John the Baptist, the forerunner to me, does. God the Father himself does. And the scriptures speak of me. It's right in front of your face, but you don't see it. Right? We, we, we do this sometimes. Like, um, Anybody ever come up to you and that you know they have something exciting to tell you? They haven't said a word yet, but you just know they have some, something exciting to tell you. Like their face is like. And you're like, okay, what is it? They're like, well, you know, right? Because you can see it. There was a, a couple here a few weeks ago and got engaged, right? Very exciting. And, and it's just, there's this, right? What would we say about them? Well, they're beaming, Right? They're not seven years in like some of us, right? They were beaming, right? So just beaming, right? What do we say about like a bride on her wedding day, right? She's just glowing. She's there in her white dress and she's just glowing. He is super pale because his, he's just like the, 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 the realization of what's happening is actually sinking in, right? We think about things a little late sometimes, us guys. But the bride has already thought all this through. She's wearing her beautiful dress and she's glowing, when I, just, when I do a wedding sometimes, I, I literally tell the groom, bend your knees, bend your knees. You're going to buckle. You're going to buckle. Hold, come on, sit, keep it together. Keep it together. It's very important. It's like the sun going down when you're out on a hike and the iPhone has an app for that. Like it's getting dark um, and, and you need to find your way out and the light illuminates the way. It's like standing in a dark cave and then someone with a torch comes to your aid and says, here's a torch. Go this way to freedom. That's precisely how Jesus came. He came with a message of hope that should be so self-evident. Just look around. Look at the miracles. Look at who he is. Look at what he's both saying and doing. Look how he's changing lives. Jesus stands in front of them as the light of the world and declares it, and they reject his testimony. My question for you this morning is, do you do the same? See, R.C. Sproul said there are millions, if not billions, of people in this world who claim to know God as their Father, yet reject the Son. And you cannot know God the Father and repudiate the Son. And you cannot know the Son and repudiate the Father because their testimony is one. The Father bears witness to the Son, and the Son bears witness to the Father. This is so commonplace today. 
I mean, you've found your way to a church. If you don't know what to do with Jesus and you're exploring Jesus, well, then I think you're exploring it enough to at least give a, a listen to the Bible. And what Jesus makes really clear is that to reject the Son is to reject God. So in our culture, it's becoming uh, more and more common to be the center of our own universes. I mean, it's always been the case, but we're really good at it. And as we're, we do that, we, we no longer give ourselves even to what we would call traditional religions, right? Or like, it's not just one of those options, right? What, what's happening is we, we make a spirituality all our own that works for us. We find some sort of higher power, some sort of being with energy that we pray to and it does something for us. And right, we create this kind of quasi-spirituality. And yet what, what we need to do is we need to at least wrestle in some way with the words of Jesus because he... Um, doesn't simply say that we can do that. He says to reject me is to reject God, to reject authentic faith. And he gets really, really pointed in verse 21. He says to them again, I'm going away and you'll seek me and you will die in your sin. Where I am going, you cannot come. He is going away. He's going to die and rise again and go to the Father. And when he says that they will die in their sins and that they can't follow him where he goes, he's saying when they die, they do not go to the Father for they have rejected the Son. He is warning them that if they persist in their blind rejection of him as the light of the world, they will perish away from God in hell forever. It's really interesting with this whole, you know, talking about Jesus as the light of the world because Jesus, I, th I think really his favorite reference for hell, I don't, I don't, it's a bad phrasing, but his most used phrasing for hell in the gospel of Matthew, you know what it is? It's to be cast into outer darkness. So Jesus comes as the light of the world, but if you reject Jesus, you know what, you know what your future holds? Being cast into outer darkness, the furthest thing from the light. He says again in verse 28, he says, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am, that I am he or that I am. This doesn't mean that everyone becomes believers. It means that unbeknownst to them, this group that Jesus was speaking to, they will help him complete his mission as the light of the world. They will have a hand in lifting him up and crucifying him. And the cross is his redemptive saving work from which he will rise and shine forever. What Jesus is saying here, and we need to hear, is that the day is coming that you will know this to be true, that Jesus is the light of the world. You can know now and have your sins forgiven, or you can die in your sins and come to see the truth later when it's too late. Jesus is declaring that to reject me is to die in your sins and to remain in darkness and then to be cast into outer darkness. To reject Jesus is to remain in darkness, but there is hope. Oh, there is hope. Look at the second point. To believe in Jesus is to receive the light of life. Let's just do a little theology of light this morning because I think it adds the impact of, of Jesus saying, I am the light of the world. So if you have your Bible, let's do a little exercise, okay? Welcome to class. Here we go. Very, Genesis chapter one, very beginning of the Bible. We see this scenario going on in verse two. It says, the earth was without form and void and darkness was hovering over the face of the deep and the spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. Verse three, and God said, let there be light and there was light. 
In John 1, 3, it says, all things were made through him, that's Jesus, and without him was not anything made. The Holy Spirit is hovering over the face, right, of the, of the deep, of the, 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 the voidness. Let's make up words as we go. Right? And the Holy Spirit is hovering over, and God the Father, via God the Son, looks at the darkness and says, let there be light, and there was light. In Exodus chapter 13, as God is ushering his chosen people out of an exodus in slavery, it says in chapter 13, the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light, that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from before the people. The Lord went before them as a pillar of fire. God's presence for his people was in a flame. God's presence lighting their way out of the wilderness wandering and into freedom. God lit the way. The psalmist declared in Psalm 27, the Lord is my light and my salvation. In Psalm 119, the psalmist says, the word of God is a light to guide the path of those who cherish instruction. And then for this chosen people of God, this nation of Israel, God had a plan for them, a purpose for them. They were not only to be light, but they were to be a light to other nations and a blessing to them. Isaiah 42 picks up on this when it says, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison, those who sit in darkness. And then also in Isaiah 49, it says, it is too light a thing, I like this, it is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. It's too light, too small, too little. Something greater. I will make you as a light for the nations that my salvation may reach to the end of the earth. Both of these passages refer to God's servant being a light to the nations. In their immediate context, they seem to be a call to the people of Israel to be a light to all nations. Yet far from failure, God's ultimate redemptive plan was to send his son to be the light of the world. See, Jesus is the ultimate light of the nations. That's what Isaiah 60 is getting at when it declares, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth and thick darkness the peoples, but the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you, and nations shall come to your lights. Jesus comes as the one who exposes darkness with radiant light as his glory shines forth. And then Jesus gets up on a hill in Galilee and declares, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. To followers of Jesus, this is a call to let your life characterize good deeds so that your life draws people to the light of Christ. Seeing and experiencing God's grace, we radiate light as we behold the beauty of Jesus. Paul and Barnabas preach in Acts chapter 13, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles 
that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word, the gospel of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. See, the word of the Lord is the gospel message that comes as light and is to be carried by light bearers. That's you and me. That's Christians. What was initially the missional purpose of God's old covenant people has been commissioned to new covenant followers of Jesus. We are made as lights to the nations as we bring the gospel into dark places. Now, if you still have your Bible, turn to, I hope you still have it, but maybe you don't have one, but turn it to Revelation 21, 22. We're looking at the very kind of back of the Bible. And, and there we see something really interesting. Revelation chapter 21, verse 23, the city That's the eternal city. This is our heavenly dwelling for all time. The city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it. Huh? The eternal city has no need of sun or moon or any of those things. For the glory of God gives it light. And its lamp is the lamb. Sun, do away with the sun. Moon, do away with the moon. Lamps, sorry electricians, there's no purpose for you in heaven. Find another gig. Right? Because, like, we don't, here's the only light you need. God is the sun shining for all eternity. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is the lamp by which spreads this warm light into all eternity. God's glory will radiate so brilliantly, there will be no need for lamps, light, and the sun. God created these things through Jesus, light shone into dark places. And for all eternity, he will shine before all his people. And Jesus steps in front of a crowd and says, I am the light of the world. I am the light of the world. And he meant it. He meant it in every way imaginable. Jesus was declaring that he is the exclusive source of physical light. And he's the exclusive source of spiritual light in the world. And he came into the world to illuminate that truth for us. Let me give you one more text. Hebrews 1, I think, summarizes everything we've just been saying. Hebrews 1 starts this way. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. We're living in the last days. Everything from Jesus' resurrection on is last days. He's spoken to us by his son whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. And listen to this, verse three. He is the radiance of the glory of God. That's Jesus, the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Jesus truly is the light of the world, radiating the glory of God. Here's something fascinating and why I want you to to see that this is connected to the Feast of Booths, the Feast of Tabernacles. And what's happening here, the first night is the sun is going down. It's starting to get dark. But this is a feast. This is a celebration. This is a festival. and, And they're about to celebrate. And this is the way they would do that at the Feast of Tabernacles. There were four massive torch lamps these golden lamps, and, and these young men would climb up these, uh, kind of these poles and they would light this massive beacon of light, these four golden lamps that were lit in the, um, in the temple courts. It's called the Court of the Women. It's also where, um, where people would give their, um, their funds, their tithes. And in this place, these massive torches are lit as it's getting dark. 
And as that's happening, great rejoicing starts to happen, singing and celebrating with music and dancing. This is before Mennonites came along, right? So there's dancing, there's music to a beat. Continue through the night, I don't know where I'm going. It continued through the nights of the feast and the entire city was illuminated by the temple lights. This is what's going on. And there was such a blaze of light that suddenly the darkness was pierced with such a light that it is said to have illuminated every street and square in the city of Jerusalem. The light could be seen for miles around Jerusalem. And it's in this context, maybe even at this moment, that as the torches light up, and the dark city starts to glow that Jesus steps forward and says, I am the light of the world. Jesus was saying, you've seen the blaze of the temple illumination piercing the darkness of the night. I'm the light of the world. The light in the temple is a brilliant light, but in the end it flickers and it dies. I am the light that lasts forever, he declared. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. This is an interesting phrase. We'll have the light of life. What's this connection? What does that mean? What's this light? Sounds so new agey. What's this light of life? Well, John's already declared it in John chapter 1. In him, that's Jesus. In Jesus was life, and the life was the light of men. The life gives light. The life Jesus has and the life he shares with those who follow him gives them light. Without the life Jesus gives us, we're dead and blind spiritually. We've talked about this in weeks past. That's our spiritual condition apart from the light of Christ. We're dead, but then he gives us life. And we begin to see like never before and live like never before. See, the love and grace of Jesus Christ is stunning. So much so that you haven't truly seen, Jesus is saying, and you haven't truly lived until you've come to saving faith in him. You have spiritual eyes that have not seen a thing unless you've given your life over to Jesus. And in that moment that you surrender your life to him, you repent and believe in faith, in that moment, you will have life, eternal life. And your eyes will see like they've never seen before. I want us to respond to kind of simple, straightforward responses. It's not easy, but, but straightforward, simple responses I want to invite you to. The first one is embrace Jesus as the light of the world. John has a few favorite themes he keeps coming back to. One of them's time. I mean, we keep addressing it, right? My time has not yet come, right? The time wasn't right, right? Meaning that, that John's mounting this case that Jesus is gonna be crucified and he wants us to see the tension growing. Time's not yet, but it, it is coming. That's, so all that's going on. Another theme is, if you just look at back at recent chapters of John and look at kind of section by section, in a lot of these sections, you know how they conclude? And some believed, and that happens exactly here in verse 30 as Jesus has declared that he's the light of the world and that the testimony, the witness about him is self-evident in many ways. And verse 30, as he was saying these things, many believed in him. They believed the message of Jesus. They believed he was the light of the world. And the question I have for you as we respond is, do you, will you believe the message of Jesus? We're in the same boat as these hearers of Jesus 
Some hear the message of the gospel and respond with repentance and faith. Some hear the message of the gospel and reject it. My prayer for you this morning is that you may believe and allow Jesus uh, into your life now and forever, that you may gaze upon his glorious light now and forever. So if you have never given your life to Jesus, I invite you to embrace him as God the Son, the way to the Father, that you may have eternal life. Any burden, any baggage, anything you're carrying, you bring it to the cross and you surrender it there. You give your life to him and he will set you free. He will help you see and he will help you live. The second response I want to spend a little more time on is this. Let your sin in the dark be brought into the light. This is a little bit more of a a, a church family conversation. Jesus is the light of the world. That's who he is. That's his nature. Everything about, he, he's the creator of light, the sustainer of light, the giver of light, the shiner of light in every dark crevice, every place. And so in the Christian life, there is not to be anything hidden, anything in those dark recesses of the heart. Many of us, for many different reasons, have hidden sin in our lives. And so um, part of the reason for that, I think, is sometimes we, 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 we get the, the Christian culture wrong, when, what, what church is meant to be. I think a lot of us bring in these expectations that, well, man, they're looking very clean. They're looking very put together. They look like they've got it right. They look like they're 10 steps ahead of me on the journey of holiness and that pursuit. So therefore, I'm not going to be the mess. I'm going to posture. I'm going to present well. And, and, and enough of us do this, and there becomes this setting inside the church where, man, I'm the only one struggling around here. And we feel shame about that. And so some of us are fighting addiction here this morning and nobody else knows. To prescription drugs, to non-prescription drugs, to alcohol. We have the ability to be addicted to anything, really. We're very creative people. And for some of us, good things have become ultimate things and they're addicted. We are addicted to them. For some of us, pornography is an addiction that nobody knows about. That is plaguing you, that's plaguing your marriage, or that's plaguing your singleness. For some, it's unforgiveness. You see the gospel, yeah, okay, I, I get that, but I cannot forgive this person and it plagues you. Nobody knows, but you know how much you hate that person. Maybe it's that thing that's plagued you for a long time that no one knows about, and now there's a lot of guilt. So we'll come at it one way, we'll have shame about it, and so we'll hide. Or we'll believe the lie that, you know what, I think I can repair this on my own without needing to tell anybody. So why tell anybody? I'm just going to fix it myself. I'm going to get this right. I'll I'll repair this on my own, we say. And some of us have been telling ourselves that for like a decade. (laughs) 
I'm, this is not going to happen again. I'm not going to. I'm not going to give myself to the bottle. I'm not going to give myself to the pills. I'm not going to give myself to porn. I'm not going to, right? I'm going to get myself out of this rut, and I don't need to tell anybody for that reason. Shame, the the the, the ludicrous thought that we can actually pull ourselves out by ourselves. Um, I want to invite you to um, let your sin in the dark be brought into the light this morning, this week, because it will be found out in one of three ways. So let me just list those to you as we wind down. The first way that you can let your sin in the dark be brought into the light is you can confess it. I want to help you have a little bit of courage. Um, And the way I want to help you have a little bit of courage is this. If you were to pull someone aside, a trusted brother, a trusted sister in the Lord, pull them aside and tell them that dark secret, that dark sin. If you tell your life group this thing later or a portion of your life group later this week, can I just practically guarantee you what's going to happen? A collective exhale is going to happen. Oh, thank God. Somebody's actually opening up around here. I've been waiting. I I was hoping we could do this, right? You will be such a gift to the people in your life by confessing your sin. By confessing your sin to someone, that dark place that, believe me, Satan has a hold on if it is still in the dark and not another soul knows about it, Satan has a hold on you because that dark thing, he will manipulate you with that like crazy So confess it and you will find freedom. Doesn't mean there won't be consequences for sin where consequences land. But my plea and encouragement to you is to confess it because there are two other ways that sin gets exposed. The other way is that you get exposed. You don't offer it in the form of confession, but it comes to light nonetheless. And I can tell you from personal experience that when you hide things, And don't let the people closest to you in on it. And you're found out. Not only do you have the sin, but you have the collateral damage of broken trust. You have the issues of now people looking at you sideways when you share something from your heart because I don't, maybe it's true. Don't know if I can believe you anymore. See, sin has a funny way of being exposed and God in his supreme grace actually gives us the gift of exposing, shining a light on our sin even when we don't want it to be. So, without confessing sin, we run the risk of being exposed and for things to be far, far worse. But there is also a third way that sin in the dark gets brought into the light. And it's a lot worse than the first two. And it's Romans 1. There's a certain point when we hide sin, keep it in the dark, let no one in, live that way, continue to live it, on and on and on. There's some of us in the room this morning that actually go, you know what, I'm getting away with it. I've learned the phrases, I've woven the story, I know how to get out of a jam, I've done this a long time, no one's ever going to know. But the deep, deep problem with that thinking is Romans chapter 1 when God actually declares that that he will give you over 
to the desires of your heart that you have most. You will not let that be exposed by the light of Christ. You're keeping things from him. You're keeping things from others. We are instructed to confess our sins to one another. And a time comes in our lives when we have kept things in the dark for so long and not shared it with another soul, we may confess it to God, but only partially because we're not doing the the work of, of seeing it through, that a time may come in your life when God says, you want that thing more than me? Go ahead. And he gives us over to the desires of our hearts. He gives us over to our debased thinking, minds, sin, For you will stand before the judge one day when it's the season of judgment. And believe me, the brilliance, the wonder, the radiance of Jesus as the light of the world will shine like no light has ever shone on you before. You think your spouse knows you. Wait till the floodlight of Christ shines upon your heart and we'll all get exposed. My plea to you not only for the good of your soul, the good of your marriage, the good of those around you, also for the good of the family of the church. Confess your sins to one another. Bring the dark things into the light. Because when that happens, you know what will be awaiting for you? The light of Christ, the grace of our Savior, the one who died for your sin, for your dark things. He died for it. So what I'd like you to do is I'm gonna get the band to come up, but I'd like for you to close your eyes for a minute. I'm just gonna give you some opportunities to to think and pray some things through here. If you've never given your life to the Lord, I encourage you to just call out to him in your heart right now. You would like to embrace Jesus as the light of the world, as your hope. There's a way you can physically demonstrate that too. There's a connecting card in front of you and you can indicate that you would like to give your life to Jesus. I'd love to get that card from you later. Well, you keep your eyes closed as we spend some time with the Lord here. God, we want to come before you this morning, Lord, and um, truly be authentic followers truly give you every square inch of our hearts. And I praise you, God, that our faith is not such a faith that's built on merit. It's built, it's built on your finished work. Therefore, as dark things, sin gets exposed in our hearts, doesn't mean we're not saved. Doesn't mean we don't have hope. It simply means we get to bring it to the foot of the cross and lay it there. And Lord, my desire, for it is your desire, that we would be a church, that we would be a people that lay it all before you, that share it all with one another in safe places to trusted brothers and sisters. So God, I pray as this is convicting some hearts in the room, First of all, Lord, if they're married, I, I pray for their spouse right now. Lord, if there's a hard conversation coming today, there's a hard conversation coming this week. 
Lord, I pray for the godly spouses in the room that as they hear things from uh, their spouse, Lord, that you would help them fix their eyes on the wonder of the cross and your great grace for them. I pray that in a way that only you can do in our hearts, you would make us great forgivers, great grace givers. Even yet, while consequences fall where they need to fall. God, if this happens in a life group setting, in an accountability setting this week, Lord, I pray for the godly men and women that meet or that it's sought out for this week or someone comes to a pastor this week, Lord, I pray that you would make us great hearers, deep with compassion. We would pray for our brothers and sisters and love them well, point them to freedom and point them to hope, point them to the joy found in you. Lord, for those who have things to confess, Lord, may your light shine in these dark areas and expose them for as light shines in the darkness. Oh God, that's where you reconcile. That's where you redeem. That's where you bring beauty out of ashes. So Lord, we ask, would you move among us? Would you stir our affections towards you? Would you make us great grace givers? And may we heap all of our burdens upon you. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.